Welcome, listeners. My name is Jonathan Mahoney, and I am here with Abbott George Burke. How are you doing today, Abbott George? Very well, I hope. (laughs) Well, that's good to hear. (laughs) So, you've got a question. Yes. Okay, so if evil spirits cannot withstand high spiritual vibrations, then how was Lord Jesus tempted by Lucifer and Gautama Buddha tempted by Mara? How could they withstand being in proximity to world saviors? Yes, that's a very, very logical and reasonable question. It's a good one to consider because it will give us some ideas about what real mastery of yoga is. Because, of course, these great beings, avatars, they are uh, individual spirits that have gone up the entire scale of evolution, transcended that scale of evolution, and are, of course, not infinite, but they can, in a sense, access the infinity of God and experience it to a degree. And then they have almost infinite powers, infinite knowledge. One thing that's very important is I've observed through the years, including in India, their idea of avatar is just kind of very simplistic. It's just almost as if like an avatar is just a hand puppet that God is sort of working. But it isn't that. It's an evolved being. It's a perfected being. And... Literally, these beings are far greater than our concept of God. Okay. They're not greater than God, but our concept. Because look at us. We're on the bottom rung of the ladder. Yeah. How, how big can we think? Not very big at all. So they are like simply beyond our comprehension. But part of what they have is being masters of everything at every moment, holding every aspect of their being in total consciousness. For example, you and I, we're not, we're not aware of our unconscious mind at all. We're also not aware of all the actions that the involuntary nervous system is going on. Mm-hmm. So the truth is, we're very, very little conscious even uh, even in relation to our own personal uh, limited finite being, uh, we're, I don't know if we can even say we're one-tenth aware of, of what we really are. Okay. But they are not. They're not like that. They are aware of everything. So they can control their karma, literally, you see. Okay. Uh, we can, we'll mention that later. Masters keep karma sometimes. We think, well, when you're a master, everything's sort of just dissolved and you don't have any karma anymore. No, it's very important. For example, even in Eastern Christianity, they say a deified being is not unchangeable. Rather, a deified being changes if they want to and they don't change if they don't want to. In other words, they could be totally unchanging or totally changing as they like it. So, this being so, they can completely control every aspect of themselves, which includes the radiation of their aura, their atmosphere. For example, uh, I recommended to a friend of mine 
that she and her husband go to visit a saint I knew. And I said, I think you will benefit greatly by her, by just being with her, speaking with her, and so on. Well, I didn't know it, but my friend had had a back injury years before, and she was always in pain to some degree Okay. in, the, in her lower back. And so anyway, she went to visit this saint, and when I saw her next time, she said that when the saint came in the room, she and her husband stood up, and she said, suddenly, I felt like I was lifted up about 10 inches in the air, and then kind of floated back down, and my pain was permanently gone. Wow. So this, this saint had healed her without even intending to, mm-hmm. just because of the power of the saint's aura. I found, for example, two people only, I found this to be true in India, Swami Shivananda and Ananda Moima. When you came into the presence of all the other great yogis I met, and they were great, and I mean, I had total reverence for them, still do. But I was very aware of them, their amazing vibration, their literally power and aura, and so on. So I was very much intent on them. As when we get intent on something, we sort of forget ourselves just looking at the object. But not so with Ma or Swami Shivananda. The moment you came into the presence, you became deeply self-aware. Okay. More truly aware of yourself than even of them. And your mind came into perfect balance. It was a good experience. It was a nice experience. (laughs) So much so that when I had questions that I wanted to ask Ma, I had to write them down. Otherwise, when I would go walk in or she would walk in, I would feel so at ease and so perfectly fine that I couldn't remember what my questions were because I was just... The, the scale was balanced and everything. So these <laughs> kind of went to zero. And uh, so I had to do that. So they could do that if they want. And if they want, they could completely fool people. I knew a yoga siddha. He was born with yoga powers. As an infant, he worked miracles. Incredible. A mind of intelligence you couldn't even begin to imagine. And he was actually a very dear friend. In fact, I loved him very, very much. But he had egotism, to put it mildly. And it was embarrassing. I actually took him to meet a couple of very fine sadhus and so on. And he'd just walk in and sit down and say, tell me what you've experienced and what have you know? And he'd ask all these questions. And I took him once to meet an old Swami who, but believe it, was 108 years old. You know, 108 considered a sacred number in India. Mm-hmm. Who was wonderful. But Duttabal comes in and starts asking all this, you know, what's your profound psychic stuff and so on. And Swami didn't have any answer to this nonsense. So to my amazement, Duttabal said, I'm not staying here and stood up and walked out. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry to say he had that. You say, well, how is he so advanced if he had such an ego? Well, what we forget is 
that when you start on the path of evolution, you grow bigger and bigger and bigger. Everything about you gets bigger, which means your illusions can get bigger. And, <laughs> and, and your ego can get bigger. Yeah. Okay. It's a problem. So anyway, he went to Rishikesh and he came back to where I was staying. And he said, oh, we just came back from visiting with Swami Shivananda. And I thought, oh, he said, uh, he is really a great man, great person, a great karma yogi, because, of course, he did so much good. And he said, I started asking him the questions I always asked about these, you know, experiences and higher levels of being. But he said to me, I, I don't know anything about these things. I have never had any psychic experience. And he said, now that doesn't make me respect him any less because he is a great karma yogi. Well, I was stunned because <laughs> let me tell you, Swami Shivananda was not just a great karma yogi. He was like God on the earth. And I thought how interesting that he would not reveal this to Duttabal. They wouldn't even let Duttabal see it. And so they they can do that. Okay. Um, really, really important. So they can hide their spiritual status in a way? Yes. So that you understand Lucifer didn't know who Jesus was. He thought he was just some spiritual upstart who okay. gained a little bit of abilities. He had no idea who he was. Okay. And of course, why did Jesus even have this happen? Well, he shows us that it's real, that Lucifer is a being, and he can pester people. But also, these great masters sometimes keep a bit of their karma. Well, the world is in the mess it is in because Adam was fooled by Lucifer. Adam and Eve both fooled by Lucifer. So, Jesus who is the new Adam, the second Adam, new Adam, whichever way you want to put it, and who had to undo all that was done by his own weakness and foolishness at that time, therefore also had in his karma to be tempted or tested or pestered by Lucifer. Again, okay. Yeah, and but he used that then to vanquish Lucifer and since it gets into the story of his life to explain to us about things like that. Okay. You follow? Now, Buddha, it's a little different because Mara is not really a person. Mara is Maya. Uh, the, the power of cosmic evil, but just an impersonal kind of power of Veiling. Think of it as a cloud that can come by and hide the sun and everything gets dark, but the sun is still there. Real quick. So Mara is Maya is Satan, correct? Yes. Satan in the sense of that cosmic power. Mm -hmm. Okay. That it's the force of cosmic evil in the yes. uh, universe. Yes. Okay. And uh, frankly, in a sense, booting out Mara by the power of his will was just part of Buddha's perfection and manifestation. Okay. That was something that uh, 
he that that's part of being a Buddha. In other words, finally the last the last temptation you might say comes, and uh, and the Buddha says, "There's nothing to you. You're a mirage," and boom, <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> because of course, all evil is a mirage, ultimately. Therefore, that's how they could do it. Okay. But let, let's talk about this some as we deal with people. For example, in 1935, Yogananda went back to India. He spent a year there. He traveled around and he met many uh, great yogis he had known before and some that he hadn't. For example, it was in 1935 that he met Ananda Ma. And he went to visit one very, very, very famous yogi. If you don't mind, I won't tell the name because uh, this yogi has groupies even here in America who have pestered me about certain aspects of what I had to say. And they'll shriek if they would know that Yogananda, although, by the way, they never met this great yogi. They call him their guru, never met him at all. But anyway... To protect the innocent, namely me and you, I will. I won't say his name, but he was in. He was known in the West also, but a lot were at that time. So guessing games won't work for most people unless they enjoy it. So anyway, Yogananda definitely wanted to go to visit this great yogi. So he did, and some years later. When uh, Swami Kriyananda was living there in the ashram, he asked Yogananda, well, what was it like when you met this yogi? Figuring that there here would be these two great masters and that their meeting would just be some kind of marvelous event, you know, mm-hmm. uh, according to like, you know, and of course the unanimity of one another and so on. So Kriyananda was surprised when Yogananda simply said, I hid from him. Mm. Meaning that Yogananda did not let him see the reality of him, of Yogananda. Okay. The, the, the level and the status of Yogananda. Yeah, and the groupies would scream because that meant that he was superior to the famous yogi. Uh-huh. And he could control what that yogi would perceive or not perceive in relation to him. Okay? Okay. So here you get the idea of the power a master really has, even in relation to very, very, very greatly advanced even yogis. Now, there's another part to this that I find interesting, I decided I'd tell you about, was that living in this famous yogi's ashram, was a man considered a disciple of the very famous yogi who lived off very quietly, was not uh, very often seen in the ashram. And when he was, he rarely spoke to anyone. He just quietly came and went. He lived on the grounds of the ashram, but he was just not visible most of the time. Mm-hmm. And Yogananda said, I met him, and he was far, far, far greater than, and then named the famous yogi. 
Isn't that interesting? Yeah. So it almost in secret, there was living in this ashram, this truly great master yogi, greater than the master that people were coming from all over India to, to bow before and consider having the ultimate realization. So it just shows there's more to life than what we see or can understand even when we get into the yoga life. Yeah. Very interesting, isn't it? And this is not something new. There was in the Middle Ages or beginning Renaissance, a very, very great, a great famous monk. And it's been so long I've forgotten his name. But he's written in books where you would talk about holy people that have appeared in Europe. And he used to travel around, and he was a brilliant speaker. And wherever he went, people's lives were changed. Wow. They would just come in to listen, maybe out of curiosity. Everything would change. They would awaken spiritually. People would suddenly take up real spiritual life. Very much so. And so there was... Not a man who was a great, great, great sample. He was very progressed in spiritual life. And he lived in a monastery in this in a town where the big famous monk came to speak. So he had experienced some of his own self and of other great souls. So when he went to hear him, he realized, well, this is a very brilliant, very articulate, and very pure, a very good and true, a genuine monk. Worthy of all respect, but he doesn't have what it takes to bring about this awakening. So how is it happening? So he prayed, sitting there, he prayed, you know, please, Lord, let me know, may I understand what's happening. So he felt like getting up. And so he moved from where he was, he went off to the side, and he felt something yogis got to get used to this. They'll feel a lot of something, some ones and some things. <laughs> that it'll take a while to figure out what it is. And he knew there was something that he felt drawn to toward the back of the church. So he went there and there was this pillar and he thought, well, it can't be the pillar. What's on the other side? He just carefully went peered around the other side, and there was an ordinary little monk standing there with his rosary in his hand, praying. And he saw that this was the source of all that spiritual power, that this little monk, through his love of God and through his own purity, by his prayers was enabling that other monk to have such a great spiritual or give such great spiritual benefit to the people. Wow. And this happens in India. Uh, there was one ashram again, very, 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 very famous and very purified person. But the real power was in this simple little Swami that nobody paid any attention to. And never gave a second look. But that little Swami, because inside there was infinity. And by his being there, he made everything else 
work. Now, that doesn't mean that this particular saint, whose Ashen was, was not also incredibly advanced person. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are some people that are very, 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 very high. They may even have attained the ultimate. But again, just because we're none of us the same, they may have little, very little effect on an external effect on other people. Okay. So we would think, well, if I met such a person, I'd just fall on the floor. But it doesn't happen. So anyway, the power pack was this very completely ignored person. So this can happen. I was going to say it's kind of like a battery. Like, you know, yes. it's like an electric car yes. and the one monks yes. the electric car and the other monks the battery for it. Yes. He makes yes. it work. Yes. So when we encounter people that are renowned and we need to look around them, lest we find that what's really there is uh, something else. I, I, I've i seen it in other ashrams. Okay. Uh, someone that just, I remember this one. It, here was this lady. She looked like she was in her early 60s. And she just quietly came walking by. But another person came up and touched the ground in front of her. And she just touched her on the head and wham. And then uh, she walked on. And I realized, boy, listen, uh, this is somebody living in a Sasha nobody was giving a second thought to. And that woman really has got great spiritual depth. Mm. So it's interesting to realize we cannot judge by appearance and you never judge by fame because a lot, some of the biggest spiritual scoundrels uh, in the world have been world famous. Yeah. So indeed, so indeed. Listen to the next podcast to hear Abbot George talk of more examples of the hidden status of master yogis.